1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. From KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the bar Sports Open Line. Those mid-swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and datacom needs. Here we go. Now... Oh, yeah. Matt Pauly on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All
2: right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go.
3: We come your way for a full two-hour edition of a Graybar Sports Open Line today here on KMOX. Welcome in, everybody. My name is Matt Pauly. Taking you till 8 o'clock this evening. As always, if you want to get involved in the program, you can do so by calling or texting 314-436-7900. That's 314-436-7900. Or you can tweet at me at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. We have a loaded, a loaded program tonight. Jerry Palm will talk to us in about 10 minutes about college football. Luke Horak will talk to us in about 25 minutes about the Blues. Uh, next hour, our own Sean Malone from the KMOX Newsroom is going to take his news hat off and put his sports hat on. We'll talk fantasy football with him. That's going to be a new weekly segment uh, we do with Sean. Daniel Guerrero is going to join us from the Post-Dispatch at 720. We'll talk Cardinals baseball with him and specifically uh what what do the deadline deals and, – and Daniel wrote a really good piece recently about this, and that's why I wanted to have him on. What do the deadline deals that the Cardinals pulled off look like now after the various players that came over to the organization got – You know, a month and a half, two months of time uh, in the organization. So we'll talk with Daniel Guerrero and Kevin McAlpin, uh, my good friend from the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. He is going to join us at about 7.35. So, yeah, lots to get to. Uh, This made the social media rounds today, and I thought it was interesting. I want to spend some more time talking about it later on this hour. Uh, There was an article in the St. Louis Business Journal, and inside of it they speak with – Cardinals president Bill Dewitt III, and he is quoted as essentially saying that they are ready to spend money. That they realize that revenues may actually go down next year for the team, whether it's because of you know season ticket renewals not being at at high as high of a rate, or uh, TV money not being the what it was. There's a lot of reasons why revenue could go down a little bit, but despite all of that, they are willing to spend money to bring in pitching and that they expect their overall ranking in terms of payroll compared to other teams to go up. And I think that's notable. I, do, I And look, there's a. <laughs> you look at social media today, and I'm sure a lot of the people who are saying things on social media are listening right now, and there seems to be this thought of, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I continue to be of the belief that the cardinals would not be saying all these things that they're saying if they weren't ready to follow up with actions now that's that's not totally in their control either because there's going to be other teams that are bidding for these players and you got to go win those bidding wars which is not something that the organization has done a lot of in recent years but there there is no upside to making the comments that multiple members of the organization are making if you don't fully plan on following it up with drastic and notable actions. So I I think as a Cardinals fan, I'm not trying to tell you how to be a fan, but I I would say this, I would say you should be happy that these comments are being made because it's a lot better than them hedging their bets. It's a lot better than them trying to position themselves in a way where maybe th- if they didn't do much in the offseason, they, they could say, well, we didn't really say we were going to do that. They, they've said that they're going to do a lot. And what I found most notable about this is what was brought up was the ranking because Cardinals payroll ha- has gone up a bit in, in recent years. But it hasn't gone up at the same rate that other teams have gone up. So what we've seen happen is the Cardinals have fallen in the payroll rankings. And that's an area where they want to move up if you are to believe the comments being made by Cardinals President Bill DeWitt III. And I find that to be very interesting, and we will discuss that more in depth coming up uh, later on in the program. But I thought... The comments that were made inside of the St. Louis Business Journal are very, very interesting, and they just continue. I'm of the belief that they are going to do, that they are going to make some drastic acquisitions this offseason when it comes to pitching. Maybe maybe we get through the offseason, and I'm wrong, and they don't, and everybody can come out and say, I told you so, that that wasn't going to happen, and we'll address that at that time. But I just I don't see how you can make these comments that are being made right now and not follow that up with some significant big-time additions to the pitching rotation, which I think is going to happen at some point over the next uh, few months. All right, uh, we will switch gears and we'll talk college football. Jerry Palm is going to join us in just a moment or so as we uh, roll on with a Graybar sports open line. We're back in just a moment right here on KMOX.
1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is America's Sports Voice, GagamoX. Here's Cheney,
2: Just straight ahead, tackled, and the ball popped out. You've got to read the clock. I mean, read the card. to I make mean, to me. Yeah. Georgia Tech has it with 26 seconds left.
3: Yeah, that was something over the weekend. The Miami game where all they had to do was take a knee, get a win, and they run plays. They fumble the ball. Georgia Tech ends up winning Miami. That's been one of the more notable things that's happened this year in college. It's like Deion Sanders, and that has been uh, the, the things that have maybe caught the most attention. Uh, we're going to talk college football right now with uh, Jerry Palm. He covers uh, college football for CBS Sports. You follow him uh, at CBS on Twitter. Jerry, we go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line to talk to you. Always appreciate you taking some time for us. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I am doing, uh, doing all right. What What's your take uh, Is are we at a point in football where, and this applies to the NFL, but college football as well, it just feels like you've got all these guys out there that are playing Madden and understand football timing and everything, but then we've got <laughs> head coaches who just don't, uh, just can't completely grasp what they should be doing at any given
2: moment. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, you know, what Miami did, what Cristobal did, is unique I mean, that kind of a thing doesn't happen all the time, or we wouldn't even be talking about it because it's so routine. It's not. It's, it's, in fact, the last time something similar to that happened was him at Oregon, 2018, I want to say. It wasn't the exact same situation. They couldn't have kneeled down and taken away the entire clock, but they could have done most of it, and they did something similar. They ran the ball and they fumbled it. And it was just, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand the same mistake basically twice. You know, you would think you'd learn from the first time, but, or, you know, and there, he's not the only coach. There's like 10 coaches all on headsets. Does, does nobody say, hey, shouldn't we take an E here? You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing that something like that, you know, just basic math can't happen or doesn't happen. A, I don't know.
3: Part of his explanation was that they don't practice that. So they don't, so they don't do it. like. The, you shouldn't have to practice that for guys to take a knee, but also isn't that there's a little bit of malpractice in there involved. If at some point Absolutely. in time, you don't go say, Hey, let's, let's go through an end of game situation and take a knee.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, you, I mean, you're right. I mean, you do want to practice the formation. So you know what the formation's going to be. And, you know, so that everybody understands that, you know, the basics of it, but you know, you have to practice the math too. I mean, because that's what went wrong here. They so don't practice the math. It's I, I don't know. I mean, taking E it's not that hard. No. You know, line up in any formation, put the the quarterback under center maybe, and drop to an E. It's not that hard.
3: The other big storyline this year has been Colorado. and if we were talking two weeks ago, it would have been had a, a lot more juice to it than it does uh, right now. Colorado's come back to earth a little bit. But had, do you think it's been good for college football for the attention on, on Deion Sanders in that Buffalo program?
2: Sure. yeah, I think uh, you know he's a, he's a guy that attracts a lot of attention because they's he's got a very outgoing personality, not afraid to say whatever's on his mind. And he's an NFL Hall of Famer, so he's backing it up. You know, there's, there's nothing you can't. You can't say, well, what do you know? You've never coached. Well, he has coached. But you know, what do you know? You've never played. He's in the Hall of Fame, so you know he comes from a position of authority to speak his mind, and he does speak his mind, and it's it's garnered a lot of attention. It was unrealistic to think Colorado was going to be competing for a Pac-12 title, and you can even tell the the start they got off to. You know they were winning but they weren't winning big uh you know over TCU and and that you know so there was the better teams in the Pac12 were going to be able to do something with this team but you know it's i think the attention it's obviously it's great for Colorado uh and it's and it's i think it's good for college football too Ken Can-
3: The old school of college football doesn't like the way he's doing things, but there's a lot of people who love the way he's doing things. That program with him at the helm of it is going to have a target on their back every single week. Is he equipped? Is he talented? Is he a guy that could lead a program like Colorado to the highest level eventually?
2: Well, it's hard to say because he hasn't done it, but I don't see why not. Uh, You know, that's a a lot of that is getting players, and that's something he can probably do, you know. Deion Sanders walks into your house and says, I want you to play for me. You know, I want to coach you. You know, and he, like I said, NFL Hall of Famer. I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, so, yeah, I think he can build a roster, and we're already seeing him have success on the recruiting trail. And, the, you know, if you can get the players, then you give yourself a chance. And then we find out just how good of an is and O's guy he is at some point.
3: From a local standpoint, the University of Missouri suffered their first loss of the year this past weekend. They have a big lead against LSU. They can't hold on so the 5 and 0 start turns into a 5 and 1 record. It feels like they're at a crossroads now with these next two games against Kentucky and South Carolina might be the games that dictate whether or not they're sort of a top third SEC program or a middle tier SEC program. How real has what Missouri has done so far? Do you think how real is it?
2: Oh, I think it's uh I think it's real, but I You know, like you said, there are other tests ahead. Uh, Obviously, the LSU game stings, and in particular because it was a home game, right? So, you know, you hate to to give up those opportunities at home, but, um, you know, there's going to be bigger tests ahead. There's still Tennessee and Georgia as well, right? So, um, you know, Missouri is going to have chances to prove themselves, uh, and we will find out if they're a top-tier team uh, in this division. My guess is probably not quite. Uh, But uh, because I I think Georgia and Tennessee are probably going to be too much. Kentucky will be interesting. They're coming off a loss as well, uh, in which they were not very competitive against Georgia. So I I think that's an interesting matchup and maybe the kind of game that puts a dividing line between those two teams at the end of the season.
3: It's kind of weird to say it, but the SEC maybe is not the – all-powerful conference this year than it normally is. Obviously, the number one team in the nation is Georgia, and, and they're clearly the number one team in the nation. But they're, 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 you, you, so you don't think they're okay? I'll throw you that. Who do you think? Uh, who would you put in there?
2: Well, I would vote for Georgia, but they're not dominant. They weren't dominant really until this week. Uh, Michigan has been dominant all season. Now they haven't played anybody yet, really. That, but they are absolutely weighing waste. The teams that they should absolutely lay waste to—they don't have any 24-20s over Auburn or anything like that. They're—they're annihilating people, Um, and it's uh, that you know that's the team. I mean, there's bigger tests are coming as well, but that's the team that's really looked the best so far.
3: So who are the teams that you know, generally There's you feel like there's that separation? And sometimes you look at the college football landscape and you say there's three teams that are legitimate national title contender, four teams, five teams. You look at the top of the rankings right now, the undefeated teams, you've got Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, Penn State, uh, Washington, Oregon in there as well. Where, where do you kind of draw that line in terms of the teams that you think are legitimate national title contenders?
2: Uh, I'd like 10 or 11. Really, it's a long list still. Yeah, because um, we've seen these teams. The teams that have been tested have, for the most part, passed their tests. They're at the top of the rankings. And like we said, Michigan hasn't really been fully tested yet. Um, I don't know that Penn State's been fully tested yet. But you know, but those tests are coming for these teams. But all of those teams, everybody in the top ten right now, has still got a legitimate chance. Uh, at getting to the college football playoff. And then once you get there, anything can happen. And I think more so this year than in other years because you don't have this big bully in the SEC that looks like they're going to overwhelm everyone.
3: Yeah, and that's that's a unique thing to this season, as you just said, and what what originally kind of spurred this conversation when I was talking about the SEC doesn't feel quite as strong this year as it does other years. And overall, it just feels like – they're I don't know the the difference between the number one team and the number ten team. Like you just said, maybe it's a little bit less this year than it's been in previous years.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, it's it's really been a different kind of year. Now the SEC did not perform to its usual standard in non conference play, and that's really where the leagues prove themselves is in non conference play because conference games are just beating each other up. So, but this year, you know, Alabama loses to Texas. You know, A and M loses to Miami. I mean, the 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 big games out in the SEC in non-conference play this year, they, for the most part, came up short, and that's what we're not used to seeing, and that's why the SEC is not thought of as the beast that it normally is.
3: Let me finish you off with this. Oklahoma and Texas this past weekend, Red River rivalry, technically a Big 12 conference game, but the Big 12 commissioner doesn't show up. The SEC commissioner does as those two <laughs> programs are getting set to, to go to the SEC. It, it just feels like sometimes you look at what Sankey's doing and he's just running a master class on everybody else and showing up at that game when a lot was made of, of, uh, of, of the Big 12 commission not being there, that seemed like a pretty solid move.
2: Yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, they're on the, you know, they got a foot out the door. So uh, it makes sense for Sankey to be there, whether your mark is or not, you know, he should just go. Those are, those are teams that are coming next year. The big 10 commissioner should go to the Oregon Washington game this week. Oh, well, I don't know if he is, uh, or the USC UCLA game later on, uh, in the season. You know, those, those are games that are feel more like big 10 games now, and especially the, the USC UCLA game, which will be in November. So, um, yeah, I, you know, all of the a lot of these schools have got their feet out the door, and and conference commissioners are probably thinking more about looking ahead than looking back.
3: I, I read that the Big Twelve might make another run at Gonzaga and try to go to an uneven where they've got maybe four more schools that are basketball only schools compared to the schools that play uh, football, and it just it just seems like this. the the realignment in major college athletics every time it feels like it's over all of a sudden there's another report out there and we still there's so much up in the air when it comes to uh a a washington state and an oregon state and obviously there's lawsuits going on Uh, is this ever are we ever going to get to a point where there's some stability in conference alignment
2: maybe not before i retire yeah um and i'm a young guy so you know uh, it's uh Yeah, it's not done. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Oregon State and Washington State. The Pac-2 has got to do something. They've got two years to do something, but they really need to do something sooner because they need to get scheduled for next year uh, for not just football but the other sports as well. Um, And, uh, you know, there's uh, this talk that eventually some of these bigger brands will break off and form a Super League. and You know, like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, leave the Big Ten. And you know, join some of the bigger brands from other leagues and form this super league, and you know maybe that'll happen one of these years. Uh, but I don't think immediate future anyway. It's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a longtime Big Ten guy. Um, seeing the Pac-12 go away the way it did uh, frustrates me, kind of annoys me mm-hmm. uh, that the Big Ten would do that to uh, one of their longtime partners. It, it, the USC UCLA thing didn't kill them. It's Oregon and Washington that killed them. And yep. they did it, you know, right, you know, minutes before they were getting ready to sign the deal to stay together. And uh, yeah, that, as a Big Ten guy, that kind of frustrates me. He is
3: Jerry Palm. You read him at CBSSports.com. Does a fantastic job covering college football, college basketball, college athletics overall. Jerry, thank you so much for your time. As always, look forward to talking to you again down the line. All right, thanks. Very good. There's Jerry Palm joining us via the Quiver River electric guest line. From one guest to another, when we return, we are going to talk some St. Louis Blues hockey. Our good friend Luke Korak is set to join us in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. It's a Graybar Sports Open line on KMOX.
1: This is America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: A great bar Sports Open Line continues right here on KMOX. St. Louis Blues Hockey opening up the season on Thursday. They'll be in Dallas. Tonight is actually the opening night. For the NHL, old friend Ryan O'Reilly scoring a goal tonight for uh, Nashville, but they trail Tampa Bay in the third period by a 3-2 score. We're happy to be able to go back to the Quiver River electric guest line and welcome in our friend Lou Korak. He covers the blues for NHL.com and also the Hockey News. You follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. Lou, thanks for your time as always.
4: How are you? Anytime, Matt. What's going on?
3: Not much. What can... um. What can you really learn about a team during training camp and during preseason games? Like, Is it is it possible to get a much of a handle on, on what's going to happen in the season just based off what you see in practice and what you see in preseason games?
4: Well, you'd like to think so, and a lot of that, and Craig Ruby has addressed it. He addressed it yesterday before the team took off for their uh, team bonding trip down getting down to Dallas and into Frisco ahead of time, a couple of days, he talked about buy-in and uh, you know, if, if you've got the guys and, and the collective group together, buying into what they're preaching, what they're trying to teach, the systems they're trying to play. And if everybody's all on board, then um, I think you'll get a pretty good grasp, or at least you'd like to hope you get a pretty good grasp of what you're going to get. And uh, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty productive training camp for this group. And you can tell they're, they're focused and they're they they, they really honed in on uh, a lot of the defensive details. They'll get a heck of a test come Thursday against a team a lot of people are not only picking to um, go deep into the playoffs but even win it in Dallas. And you just went down there a week ago. And I uh, granted, I understand it's a preseason game, but you know you'll get a you'll get a heck of a test there. But uh, you'd like to think so because you know with with what happened last year this team wants to trend back upwards. Not a lot of people are giving them much of a shot, if at all, to make the playoffs. And I, I, I think they like being in that position when they're backed into a corner, they seem to come out swinging. And, uh, you know, again, you, you, you have to prove it on the ice so far. They've proved it throughout the first, what, three weeks of, uh, of training camp and, and the season and, uh, off they go. Now, now you have to take that product and put it on the ice and, and see if that work that you put in during during these three weeks uh, can 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 benefit you in in the standings and get you off to a good start more than anything.
3: You mentioned the the attention, uh, the uh, the you know, intensity, the attention to detail, things like that. How much how much different does that look in a year like this where you're coming off a terrible season versus a more standard year for the Blues, where maybe they're even if they don't make a deep playoff run, where they're at least in the playoffs.
4: Well, it's going to look different, and it's going to have to look different, and, and, it, and it starts with the top because you've got uh, you've got Mike Weber in there now who's coming in and implementing his system, and uh, I think you see a guy that's pretty vocal out there in, in trying to get these guys to, like you had mentioned there, pay attention to details, and a lot of that has to do with, and Tori Krug talked about it the other night after their game against Chicago, and, and Craig Berube has mentioned, and it's just protecting the slot area. I mean, you can't. You can't have your goalie under that kind of siege and bombardment game after game, time after time again, and uh, it's it was reflective on Jordan Bennington's numbers. They didn't look very good. Now, you know, could he have helped himself in some in some situations? Sure, but a lot of that it just had to do with the guys that were in front of him, and uh, it just wasn't good enough. And, and they understand that. They know that this is a especially a defensive group now that's a year older. Uh, they're they're a year closer to being on the on the other side of playing the game, and they know that their time is getting thin if they're if they're going to be, you know, a relevant team moving forward. And you know, when you're on the outside looking in, now you have to find a way to get to get somebody and pull them out of there and get in there yourself. And that's not an easy thing to do uh, with with so much parity in the league. So I think they've really they've really focused on the defensive side of things and the biggest thing is going to be to try to balance it out. Because I think we all feel like that this is a team that's got the capabilities of scoring. They're really balanced up front. If they can just uh, continue, you know, to put in this work and get off to a good start in this regular season with what they've done defensively, then I, then I think uh, you'll see the results on the ice. It feels
3: like in every media availability that Craig Barubi has had, and, and you've been there for, if not all, almost all of them, that the, the Buchnevich thomas kyrou line gets brought up and gets talked about. Can, can you speak to just how important that line is for this team uh, to possibly overachieve this year and be a playoff club?
4: Well, they're going to have to be. I mean, you're talking about uh, forget about forget about what they're getting paid. And, you know, they're obviously three of the top paid players on the team. But, you know, they're they're three of the best players on the team all from an offensive standpoint. So they're going to have to get the job done. And I, th- and I think they understand that now. Now you've got you've got Thomas and Kairou that are the two highest paid players on this team. And you're going to you're going to be expected to perform. There's going to be more eyes on you. Um, you're going to, your expectations just even, even, even after putting up, uh, the decent numbers and the good numbers that they've put up in the last couple of years, those numbers are going to have to continue to climb now. And, uh, if they don't, you know, they, I think they understand even at, you know, 23 and 24 years old, that, uh, you know, you're going to be looked at now and and there's going to, you're going to see the number, you're going to see the top opponents from the opposition on a night in and night out basis. And it's going to be up to them to raise their level of game. They've, they've done a good job so far throughout this camp, and I, the thing I like about it the most is, is they've kept them together. And Craig Berube's been real—he's been real persistent on keeping his forward uh, forward groupings together. Um, he's given them that time to gel and to get to know one another again, and those three in particular. When they played, they've they put up some numbers and uh, they they were able to put up some points in their last preseason game and they feel like they're ready to go. And they're going to have to be because these are the guys that are gonna, that are going to have to lead lead by example uh, more more than anything on both sides of the ice.
3: You look at the the lines, you look at the defensive pairings, and I think a lot of people could have guessed something pretty close to this even before training camp got started. Uh the team just sent five guys down. They waived five cleared waivers. They'll stay in the organization as well. Did any of the guys who are not on the team anymore really legitimately push for a roster spot?
4: Uh well, I mean, you just the way they were the way they were trending is is they were going to keep two extra defensemen and one extra forward. And the way and the way it pretty much played out, um Nikita Alexandrov won the won the 13 forward job, and I think from the get-go, the Blues really wanted him to win this job, but he really didn't win it until towards the end of training camp there. So it left the door open there for both Nathan Walker and Mackenzie McKeckern to see if either one of those guys could, you know, maybe jump up and 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 grab that extra forward role. And um, you know, although both of them certainly performed. You know, well, at times uh, it it just wasn't enough for them to probably ha- well they would have to have exposed Alexandrov the waivers and I don't think they wanted to go down that route. Same thing with Scott Perunovich on defense. I think that's why probably the main reason why they they kept that extra defenseman is because they didn't want to. These are two young guys that they drafted. These are two young guys that they've wanted to get into the lineup, get into NHL caliber games and and and, and play. And wanted to get these guys here, and Alexandrov's one of those. They 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 handed him the keys early in training camp and said, "Go out and win the job." And he started off; it, it was a pretty inconsistent camp for him, but he really jumped up and grabbed at those last two preseason games. And it's pretty telling whenever Torpchenko couldn't play in Dallas a week ago Thursday, um, and they and they put Alexandrov into the lineup. That was pretty much to tell that they were going to go with him as that thirteen forward, unless he just absolutely. Fell on his face and 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 didn't get the job done. That it was going to be his to lose, and he went out and he grabbed it and uh, understands what his role is now. But uh, not really a whole lot of surprises. I know a lot of people out there are, you know, questioning and scoffing about Kelly Rosen maybe not being one of the top eight. But again, it that's that's where you got Perunovic in here because they felt like you know you could probably take a veteran like that, even though he had a really good year last year put him through waivers and, and, and send him down. They didn't want to risk losing uh, somebody like Scott Perunovich uh, for nothing uh, because there was always that possibility. So not, not too many surprises, just a couple of those guys at the back end there, but we pretty much knew what this roster was going to look like heading into the season when they opened camp.
3: He is Lou Korak. He covers the Blues for NHL.com and also the Hockey News. You should follow him on Twitter, at lkorak10. Lou, thanks so much. Enjoy the start of the hockey season, and I'm sure we'll be uh, catching up with you uh, throughout the course of the year.
4: All right, man. Take care. Awesome.
3: Very good. That's Luke Horak joining us. We appreciate him taking a moment with us. We're going to dive back into baseball, talk a little bit about the baseball playoffs, what we saw at the end of the game yesterday between the Braves and Phillies, and also dive back into those comments that were made by Bill DeWitt III when it comes to not just payroll going up, but payroll ranking going up. I think that's the key. We'll discuss that coming up in just a moment. It's a Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX.
1: America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: Yeah, we're talking money. Are the Cardinals going to spend it? Are the Cardinals going to spend a lot of it this offseason? If they do what they say that they are going to do, they have no choice but to spend a lot of money. Like, maybe two pitchers coming in at five year contracts averaging like 30 million dollars per year like that's the kind of money that um that we're talking about can they can they hand out 250 million dollar plus contracts this off season i think if you would have asked me that a year ago i would have said i don't see that happening but Essentially, they're saying that's what they're going to do. Not to those numbers, but if you read between the lines, not even read between the lines, if you just listen to what's being said to you, that's essentially what they're saying when they talk about you know, redoing the pitching and bringing in three new pitchers and, and talking about the this what happened this past year just being a blip and getting back to their winning ways. And this this kind of blew up a little bit on social media today because of an article that was written inside of the St. Louis Business Journal where team president Bill DeWitt III talked about the off-season plan. And some of the quotes from him in this article, again, you can read the whole thing, bizjournals.com and go to the St. Louis section or just subscribe to the St. Louis Business Journal. Um, The word aggressive was used in terms of uh, returning the club to being a winning club next year. DeWitt said, quote, we do believe when we're looking towards 2024, we're trying to compete. We're trying to be aggressive in ensuring that it's a one-time blip for us. Uh, When talked about possible decreases in revenue, because when you hear that there might be some decreases in revenue, and it makes sense, last year they had something like a 96 97% renewal rate on season tickets. They're not going to have that this year. They're just not. That's that's an ungodly number. And their season ticket base is still going to be very, very, very good. It's still going to be as good as just about anybody's in baseball. But you're not going to have that 96 97%. For a club that sells 3 million tickets a year, a lot of the heavy lifting is done in the off season, and a lot of the heavy lifting is done via season tickets, and it's just going to be a little bit different this year. So could that mean that they're not quite as ready to spend as much money as you would think they would? And you listen to what Bill DeWitt III is saying in this Business Journal's article. And um, no, they're they're, they're not going to use that as an excuse. In fact, when asked about the uh, where they're at from a financial standpoint with some of these revenue sources maybe drying up a little bit, uh, another thing was uh, – TV broadcast money could be down a little bit, and that's still a big question mark moving forward. We don't know what's going to happen with Bally sports long term. Uh, DeWitt said, quote, I think our attitude or these are temporary setbacks that we should be getting back to a stronger revenue position sooner than later. So the thing that really jumped out at me was the payroll ranking. Because it's one thing to go up in raw payroll. And that's good. It's, for a baseball team, it's good to spend money. It's good for payroll to go up. But it's also a comparative metric. How are you doing compared to other teams? And the Business Journal notes where the Cardinals have ranked at the beginning of seasons when it comes to their payroll. They're never going to be a top five payroll team. It's going to be tough for them to be top ten. But they were number 11 in 2021. They were number 13 in 2022. And they dropped down to number 15 going into this past season. So if you're talking, and they do talk openly about moving up the payroll rankings, if you do that, how much money you're spending is. Somewhat controlled by the other teams that are out there. Because if you're raising your payroll, yeah, I'm just arbitrary numbers. If you raise your payroll five million dollars and everybody else is raising their payroll $10 million, your payroll may have gone up, but you're going down in the payroll rankings. So I think it's a again, I've talked about the good signs, the things that have been said, whether it's John Mosellock, whether it's Bill DeWitt the third here. I think everything that has been said continues to lead us to a point where you can believe that they're going to uh, spend money and they're going to do these things that they're talking about. And the fact that it was brought up about their payroll ranking compared to just payroll going up and wanting to move up in those rankings, that's a really good sign. That's a very good sign because spending continues to move up in baseball. So if you want to keep up with other teams and past teams, you're going to have to be able to spend a legitimate amount of money. And you got a lot of money coming off the books this year. Adam Wainwright made a lot of money last year. You got a good amount of money coming off the books, so you're going to have to reinvest that as well. It's Sports Open Line right here on KMOX.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?